Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Welcome. Today, we have a very special guest to our show. We have JJ Sorrenti, who has been in franchising for 35 years. JJ, welcome to the show. Hi, Frank. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me today. Love having you here, JJ. So look, we we go back a little bit. We met, I think, uh, was it about 15 years ago? But you've been in franchising for a long time. I love bringing on franchise pros, guys that have been through so many different transitions in the industry, have seen it all. And you are now the, is it the CEO of Best Life Brands? Yep, that's right. I've been with Best Life Brands for just over three years. And those 35 years have colored my hair. I call that franchising gray. That's what color, that's the color I call that. That's awesome. All right. Well, you know, I've got the gray. My, my one company did that to me, did that to me. <laughs> so let's, let's back up a little bit. So franchising for 35 years, tell us how it all started. I want to hear a little bit about your franchise journey. I had a little bit of a non-traditional start right out of college. I, I, I found a job and it was with a company called Cary International, C-A-R-E-Y. Not too many people know it to be a franchise business, but it's a worldwide limousine company. Uh, and I didn't really go to it to, with the intention of being in franchising. But after being there a couple of years, I was chasing my wife back to Pittsburgh and uh, she had a job in IT. She was the major breadwinner in the family. And back in 1990, you know, you wrote letters to all the CFOs. I was a finance guy. So I wrote a letter to all the CFOs for all the big companies in Pittsburgh and the CFO at GNC, General Nutrition Centers, saw my letter, saw my resume, saw that I had some franchising background. GNC was just starting to franchise at that time. And thankfully, he saw my resume and introduced me to the franchising business. I was the fifth employee hired at the GNC franchising business. We had just opened our 25th franchise store at that time. There were 900 company-owned stores. And I spent 15 years there. By the time I finished there, and we'll talk about this, uh, we had 4,000 franchise stores in 42 countries. And so it was a fantastic experience. And that was my entry into franchising way back in the early, late 80s, early 90s. Wow. Wow. And franchising has changed so much. I mean, you've been through different economic cycles, obviously, most recently through a pandemic. And you've been with Best Life Brands now. So again, this is another, I think, um, a new era in franchising, wouldn't you agree? This new thing where these platforms are starting more and more, these portfolio companies are happening to franchise franchisors that are coming on the scene younger and younger, where they're becoming part of a platform. But this Best Life Brands is interesting because there's quite the success um, amongst these brands. So tell us a little bit about Best Life and tell us the different brands that are part of it. Yeah, so Best Life Brands was created by the Riverside Companies, who's our private equity sponsor, our stakeholder. Uh, they formed that business back in 19, uh, or sorry, back in 2017 when they acquired a company called Comfort Care. And Comfort Care has been around now for 20 years in franchising, founded by a gentleman named Mark Armstrong, who had built a network up of in-home senior care, uh, companion care, uh, hygiene, running errands, meal preparation, things like that. We currently have 200. 70 territories in the U.S. and Canada, 
um, again, been franchising for 20 years. So that was brand one. Then Riverside acquired a second brand in senior care space called Care Patrol. Care Patrol has now been around 30 years. Uh, again, acquired from the founders, and we actually still have one of the co-founders is our brand president, Becky Bongiovanni. The Bongiovanni started Care Patrol in Arizona back in 1993, started to franchise a few years later. Uh, and what that business does is it helps um, caregivers and their senior parents find the best community, the safest, best community for that senior to move into once they're ready to leave home. So it's an in-home senior care service in, or, or it's a senior care placement agency kind of business. The third brand was added in 2019 called Blue Moon Estate Sales, founded by uh, Ken and Deb and David Blue. Um, and the Blues started this Blue Moon Estate Sales franchise. They had about 25 locations when we acquired it. We now have 125 territories open and operating. So that's the fastest growing brand that we have today. Wonderful business, not just associated with senior care, but but does a lot of senior care transition services inside that brand. Um, and then the fourth brand, we actually started on our own. So we were the founders um, and we started it. It's, it's called Home Health. It's called Boost Home Healthcare. And here's where you know, people come after they had an incident, maybe they were in for surgery or they had some kind of trauma. And so now we go in and help them with occupational therapy, physical therapy, wound therapy, infusion therapy, cancer treatment um, in the home. Uh, and we started this franchise. There's only a couple of franchisors in that business. And uh, we started it. We now have 11 operating franchisees in the last year and a half or so. And we're looking to add more brands to the platform in the senior care space. And it's a fun thing to think about because it's a demographic that really needs our help. And and um, as we continue to grow, we're learning that the the services that we provide are in great need. Oh, yeah, for sure. Tell me, what is a kind of a typical best trait you look for in franchise owners, specifically, I guess, a boost, since that's where you're starting out, right? Yeah, I mean, for that business, it's a little bit more unique because there's a little bit of a longer run to get open and operating. So those people are a little bit more cap more well capitalized. But generally speaking, I think most franchisors, you know, when I was the CEO for Huntington Learning Centers, the first thing I thought when I got there before I knew anything about the business was all our franchisees are going to be teachers because it's after school tutoring and that's what's going to help be help them to be, be successful. And I was completely wrong, of course. Um, what you really need to be is good at sales and marketing. And you can hire teachers and you can hire the subject matter expertise to get into the education side of things. And I think, so most franchisors, and you'll probably speak to your own experience from I9, I mean, most franchisors are looking for people that have a really strong skill. Hopefully it's in sales and marketing, but if it isn't, uh, you can enhance those weaknesses and and try and support those weaknesses while you enhance their strong skills. But I think a really good sales and marketing background helps you in any business that you get started in, especially in a franchise. Yeah, I agree. One of the mistakes I made early on as a franchisor is truthfully, I didn't know what the ideal franchise owner looked like for my business. And you could imagine being in sports it was really a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that because it was sports and kids, we got a lot of interest from people that wanted to do it. The curse was it was sports. So people knew something about it. And because they knew something right. about it, that's ultimately what they thought the business was really about. I mean, heck, we, we get people that were, they communicated well. If they said they were well-organized, they said they were detail-oriented and we liked them. 
and the territory was available, I'm talking way back in the beginning, we sold them a franchise. We didn't know that. Yeah. We didn't have assessment surveys, uh, like a predictive index. We didn't have a real profile. In fact, obviously, the number one thing we didn't focus on was the skill of business acumen. Because as you're saying, sales and marketing, because at the end of the day, home health care is the vehicle that you're using, right? Just like for us, it was kids right. and sports was the vehicle. But what we talked about is management, marketing, finance, operations, technology. Those are the things that we do every day. And I think that's probably one of the issues that folks have when they look to buy a franchise. They get enamored by this particular brand, not because it's a good business model, but it's something that they relate to, which again, is not a bad thing, but understanding what the business is really about. And you've, you've signed like 7,000 yeah. franchise agreements, I believe you said. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about what you've seen over the years like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And I think uh, when I started in franchising, as I started to learn and see who the most successful franchisees were at GNC, you know, there's a, there's a very, it's, it's not a myth um, where you talk about the best franchisees and people that like to follow systems. You know, it's prescribed here. I mean, we're going to show you how to do this. Now, my mentality around that is we're going to get you 80% of the way. We want to see what that last 20% looks like. And we'll talk about innovation because I think innovation is very important in a franchise brand. And that innovation generally doesn't come from the corporate office. It generally comes from what goes on in the field. We'll talk, Hopefully, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But so, so you hear people talk about military, firemen, policemen, people with first responders, you know, they've worked within a system. Those folks are always really good franchisees because they like to look at a manual. They want to run what that looks like. And then eventually they learn the business well enough that they can start to tweak it and understand it better. Um, so I, I, I find that people, entrepreneurs are really great and I've been around lots of them um, and there have been some very successful ones. But generally speaking, it's people that really like to follow systems that want to have a manual and have a prescription that they can actually go execute those folks have been awesome to deal with and, and are the ones that end up being the most successful down the road. No question about it. That's folks that follow the, the e-myth model, right? <laughs> it's about yes, the system. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's true. Exactly. Let, let's, let's talk about innovation though, because innovation obviously is what gives us the edge, right? Didn't Peter Drucker say business only two things, innovation and marketing. So some folks that are listening thinking, okay, this is, you know, home health care, this is senior care. Where does innovation come into play? So why don't you talk a little bit about how that, the importance of innovation, how that you've played a role, in, played a role in your business. So, so let me give it to you from two angles. I'll give it to you second um, with time, uh, how it's applying in our business and give you some examples. But I'll tell you why I find it so important. It's a very personal story to me. I'm very fortunate given the business that I've been in for 35 years. I got to meet a gentleman a long time ago. He's my neighbor. I'm actually speaking today from my Pittsburgh residence, and he was my neighbor, six homes down. Um, he's passed away since. Um, his son lived in the neighborhood after that, and now he's moved out of the neighborhood. But the gentleman's name was Jim Delegati. N no one really knows Mr. Delegati. Maybe if you're a history buff, you might. Um, but he was actually featured in Ray Kroc's book. Um, he was in the Founder movie with Michael Keaton. He was featured in the movie because Mr. Delegati was a McDonald's franchisee way back in the early 60s and late 60s. And what Mr. Delegati did was he started putting lettuce and special sauce and a second bun on the McDonald's cheeseburger. And Ray Kroc had a fit. He was not happy <laughs> because the McDonald's cheeseburger was the franchise. That thing sold for 15 cents and that was the business. And here he had a franchisee that was messing around with the franchise, if you will. Turns out Mr. Delegati invented the Big Mac, you know, the most well-known world famous sandwich, the best sandwich sold in the world was invented by a franchisee. 
in the McDonald's system, not by McDonald's corporate. And I love to tell that story because I, first of all, I know Mr. Del, or I knew Mr. Delegati, but second, here it, we were talking about franchising and innovation. The innovation has to come from franchisees. By the way, the filet of fish sandwich and the egg McMuffin also franchisee innovations at McDonald's, not from corporate. And so I tell franchise candidates all the time, we're going to rely on you. Yes, we understand the business and we're going to have some discussion here, but we want to collaborate with you out in the field to understand where that next innovation is going to come from in our business. Um, where that applies in senior care, I'll give you a couple of examples. In the, in the home care business, we talked earlier um, about how we go into homes and we do companion care and help with hygiene and run errands and do meal prep, but we can't be there 24 hours a day. People can't afford that. Frankly, we don't have the resources to do that. And so being able to help that senior by monitoring the home with technology that's not invasive or privacy enhancing, like we, we actually have wave technology that we can install in the home. It's not a camera. We can see images uh, so now we can understand and see if if mom or dad fell. If mom or dad falls with this technology that we have, there's an alarm. They wait 30 seconds, then an alarm goes off. If mom or dad can't get up to, to reset that alarm, then 911's called, the agency's called, the caregiver's called. And so now mom and dad aren't going to lay there for hours and hours uh, unable to to get up. There are other technologies out there but you have to wear them. And sometimes mom or dad's not going to put that on. There's stories about you can wear a pendant and there's stories that we hear all the time that, you know, as soon as they see the kids pull into the driveway to put their pendant on, they don't wear it all day long because it's, it's intrusive. Same thing with an Apple watch. Sometimes they don't want to wear that, that, that can detect a fall, but you have to wear it. This is technology that's omnipresent. And now we're taking it a step further. There's actually technology now that measures gait and, and uh, pace. So you can start to see if gait or pace is changing. And if that's starting to change, then there's a fall that could be coming imminently in three months or two months, and we can then give the heads up to the family. So that's the kind of technology that comes into senior care. Now we're there 24-7, and it's monitored 24-7. And so now you don't have to worry about mom. There's a call that made, gets made every day. We're measuring for falls. We're measuring biometrics. You know, We're looking at pulse oximeters, and we're measuring blood pressure. So all that kind of technology has come into senior care and it's, it's helping us keep track of people 24 seven now. That's amazing. And the level of care, the level of um, the level of expertise that you have from your franchise owners is obviously been, it's been elevated because of having these extra tools that they just weren't previously available. Uh, we always talk about, you always hear about how this um, the baby boomer generation, of course, is going to allow for just this dramatic demand that we need for senior living. Can you talk a little bit about the industry and, you guys have obviously you guys have obviously seen that there's this huge need, so you guys have hopped all over it. But talk to us a little bit about the industry and uh, the the opportunity for folks. I mean, the, the ten thousand people are turning sixty five every day in the U.S. Um, it's a huge number, and they call it the silver tsunami. So the demand is going to continue to increase. The challenge for all of us, and look, there's there's thirty, forty, fifty in home care senior franchise businesses that are out there. You know, we're one of the largest, we're one of the more established, but there's a lot of them out there. And we're all trying to fill the demand that's way beyond our capacity today. And so that's going to be the, the opportunity here is to continue to chase those demographics with the resources that we're able to provide. There's room for all of us. And so, and then you get into the specializations from there. Our business, I talked about, you know, remote patient monitoring. So we're in the home that way. 
we have a special program for Alzheimer's. We have a special program for falls. We have connect, we have um, a meals program where we do and help with, uh, you know, kitchen cooking and things like that. So there's special innovations that come with each brand. All of us, of course, are interested in compassionate and individual care, but the demand is, I mean, we could literally double the size of our business tomorrow if we could find enough caregivers. The phone rings that much, and I'm sure everybody's phone's ringing that much. And so there's space for all of us, and the demand is going to continue to increase as uh, people age and actually live longer. And the data is there for that too. Wow. Well, JJ, I mean, you are a franchise pro of being around for you know 35 years. You weren't looking to just hop on the latest, hottest trend uh, by any means when you came part of Best Life, but Tell, tell the audience, when exactly did you start at Best Life Brands? That was an interesting time when you started, was it not? <laughs> yeah, it was March 9th, 2020, which <laughs> was the day before COVID became a national story. I, I was in the business. Uh, we were learning FranDev and I was listening. And then the next day it was, you know, if you remember when COVID started, everyone was talking about the pivot. Every business needed a pivot. And so we were talking about pivoting, but I didn't understand fundamentally what we did. So it was really difficult for me. It was kind of like walking into geometry class, you know, three, three quarters of the way through the semester and trying to figure out what's going on in the room at the same time as people were, you know, working really hard because in the business that we were in, you know, we were critical care. We needed to be ready to help the the seniors who were either being discharged from nursing homes because people didn't want to be in nursing homes. They were going back home. Maybe they couldn't leave home. And they were, so there was a lot going on in our business right when COVID started. And uh, so it was a trial by fire for sure. But thankfully, we had some really strong brand presidents and really strong staff team that um, that actually helped elevate the business during that critical time. Wow. Well, you definitely got thrown <laughs> straight into the fire for sure. Crazy. It was crazy. And, and look, I joined here because, you know, I wanted to do that work. I wanted to do that. I wanted to help. Um, probably the most fulfilling part of my career in the 35 years I've been around were the couple of years I spent at Huntington Learning Centers because I, my my wife and I didn't have children, but I know that if a child is struggling in school, the home is broken. It 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 affects everybody, and to be able to solve that problem for families was probably the most gratifying thing I've ever been able to do in my career. We were solving that problem and helping kids get better in school, which then fixed the home. So same thing here. You know, if there if a caregiver is having trouble with their senior parent. What do they do? They need care. I can't be there every day. So I need somebody to help me. Should I move them into a community? Should I do it from home? Can you monitor them more often? Solving that problem is a wonderful place to operate. Our franchisees are wonderful, caring people, and they love to help others. Most of them got into the business because like you said, they knew the need was there because they had it themselves. And so um, that, that's why I joined. And then as soon as I joined the need, escalated because of covid so it was a fun time but boy it was it was hard yeah yeah no for sure and at the same time your franchisees are doing something that is completely fulfilling to them and at the end of the day that's what this is all about right it's about you feel like you're growing and Absolutely. you're contributing to something there's a million things that you can do to just to make money but there's only so many things you can do where you feel like you're really making a difference in people's lives I, you said it so much better than I've ever been able to say it. And I, I talk about, look, everybody wakes up in the morning to go to work and they have a why. Everybody knows what their why is. Ours is super special. It's almost like a nonprofit. Like we're, we're helping people and we're able to monetize that. But people don't do it for that reason. You know, Eileen Huntington at Huntington Learning Center used to always say, if you help the kid learn, the, the, the money will come. 
And it's the same thing here. If you solve a problem for the family, you'll be paid for that finally, but it's really about helping the senior parent. And boy, our franchisees have that great mission every morning when they get up. It's just, it's very fulfilling. Yeah. There's, um, I've, I've been to a Tony Robbins business mastery many times over the years. And one of the kind of the exercises that Tony does is what business are you in? And for, so for my yeah. case, it was, you know, in sports. And then he says, what business are you really in? And right. for us, it gave it a lot of thought. It was like, all right, well, we're not really, what we're really in, we're really in the business of creating memories that'll last a lifetime for kids. And in your case, exactly. what, what business, I'm putting you on the spot here, what business do you think you guys are really in? You know, we're, we're, we're literally helping people live their best life, however that might be. And, and I know it's in our name and it sounds a little bit trite, but, but that's really what we're trying to do. And, and we're focused on the senior space. You know, I, actually, I helped people live their best lives when I was a GNC, and it's the same baby boomer demographic. They were into nutrition. They wanted to take care of themselves. They were exercising more. And so now I've chased that demographic now into senior care. We took care of them by nutrition back in the when they were in their 30s and 40s, and now we're taking care of them as their seniors. But it's really to help the senior be safe and live in a comfortable environment, whether that's in their home or in a community. And, and ideally then, you know, we're providing that service through a bunch of caregivers who, by the way, are the heroes in this business. Going back to COVID, you know, thousands and thousands of caregivers exposing themselves and them, you know, making sure to, to COVID, making sure that they're helping those seniors, very difficult time. But that's really the business that we're in. We're helping people, we're, we're solving problems for seniors and uh, helping people live their best life as a result. Yeah, you're, you're the caregivers, at each one of your franchises are truly as the, they are the front line. They are the experience, right? People have a good or bad experience yes. based on the frontline people. The same goes for us back in the day running sports leagues. It wasn't the franchisee. It was the actual volunteer coaches or it was the referees. That is who defined whether somebody had a good or bad experience and caregiving is even more so because it's, it's, it's so precious. It's no doubt. And, you know, yeah, no doubt. And look, every year, you know, we, we review the, Franchisees submit caregiver of the year and we review those submissions and it's impossible to pick. You know, you get five or 10 of the best out of tens of thousands of caregivers we have out there in the country. It's so hard to pick. The stories are so incredible. I'll quote one of our one of our caregivers from caregiver of the year two years ago. She stood up on stage. She's a 75 year old woman. And she said, one of these days when I don't have bills, I'm going to do this work for free. That's how much she loved what she did. And I thought, I thought, wow, talk about loving what you do. That's right. the true test, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and she said it really well. That's awesome. So I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about your role because you are in a unique role. Most founders, we, well, most people we speak to are founders of you know one brand. In this case, you are the CEO of a platform of four brands. So why don't you share with share with us a little bit about how that works? That you are you're in charge of this whole platform and. Tell us a little bit about the team and the support that goes with that. Cause I think that's one of the, probably the great advantages of best life brands is you have this strong team around it. Yeah, it is. We have a world-class talented team and listen, I'm very fortunate in my career a couple of times now uh, I've been able to work with founders. You know, I worked with Ray and Eileen Huntington. They are they're They're in, you know, they've received all the IFA awards that they've received because of how good they are at what they've done. 
I'm very fortunate to work with them. It's like working around a Ray Kroc or a Dave Thomas. Same thing here at at Best Life Brands, working with the Bon Giovannis, working with the Blues, working with Mark Armstrong from Comfort Care. You know, it's a special privilege to work with a founder. Um, they have this really unique and and you know, obviously our our relationships being renewed here, but we we met 15 years ago. It's, I always find it a privilege to work with founders um, because that expertise is completely invaluable. We don't know the business as well as anyone that founded it. And so leveraging that, but then also trying to help that founder accelerate the brand. They they want to help more people. They got into this business to expose their brand to as many people as they can. People like me that have been around that, you know, I was around GNC when it grew from 25 franchise stores to 4,000 franchise stores. So that experience helps me, you know, accelerate the brand and put more pins in the map and become more convenient to more people. And so the team is here. Uh, and we've centralized some of the resources, marketing, franchise development, legal, HR. Those are centralized services that we can provide to each of the brands. But then the brand has their operations and training specialties. And so the brand president leads operations and leads their training areas. And so they understand the business really, really well. And then, of course, we supplement it with marketing and franchise development and and and. Uh, legal and HR is needed to in finance to continue to build those brands and make it easy. So we're fortunate. We've got probably the best portfolio of brand presidents. And I just showed um, our board some of the support we're providing for one of our brands. And one of our board members is around a lot of franchisees and a lot of franchisors in his career. And he 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 found the materials to be world-class. So we're very fortunate to have a really strong team. And we leverage this brand expertise within the brand but then we leverage the areas that we can do that with uh, shared support services, like I mentioned, marketing and franchise development and help the brands grow organically and through expansion. Mm, that's great. I want to uh, step back here for a moment. You mentioned about working with founders, you know, in your early in your career. And I, what I wanted to share is as a founder myself, I can tell you that um, since we have so many people listening that are not only people looking to maybe invest in a franchise, but we've got folks who are emerging franchisors themselves listening to this, uh, talking about want to talk about what it takes to get from that emerging franchise phase to that mature phase. And in my experience as being a founder, I found the only way or the right way we were able to break through was for me to hire for my weakness, was to bring in somebody from the outside with the expertise. And I think for you, same thing, you, you've come in here now. And you're able to kind of blend in everything you've learned over these years, working with these brand presidents. Why don't you share your, your, um, your expertise or share your insight on what you think, what does it take for an emerging franchise to become that mature? How do they get to that elusive 100 franchise units since so many of them don't get there? What are your thoughts? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, my, that's my litmus too. And we're super excited because Blue Moon Estate Sales just opened its 100th location in the last month. Uh, we have 130 territories awarded, but we have we just opened number 102, and that's super. That was super exciting because that's my litmus test to that number 100. Look, I I think it's what you said. I I couldn't add to your experience. It's perfect. Um, you know, higher to your weaknesses, and you have to also kind of let go of the leash a little bit. That was a fun experience for me at Huntington Learning Centers. You know, they were there. They had been in business for 29 years. They started. The supplemental education industry they started it sylvan came along after huntington uh, but sylvan grew much faster uh, and they actually hired me to come in in 2005 to help them grow faster 
And we literally doubled the size of the business in 20 months. They had 200 locations. We got to 400 in, in 20 months. Uh, we And you and I met just after that. But they had to let the leash go a little bit. That's hard to see the business grow. And it was a different culture and it was a different environment inside that business. I had a person come to me in that organization, not the founder, but somebody that worked there from the beginning and said, I'm arguing with people that I've never argued with before. What is going on here? And I said, it's okay. You're, you're out of your comfort zone. It's We're just running a little faster. Everybody's a little uncomfortable, but that's what it took to get us to go from 200 locations to 400 locations. And it'll settle down. And it did. People got used to the pace. It just changed a little. And so I think, you know, letting go of that little bit of leash and look, it's hard. That's your baby. Um, if you're a founder, um, my wife has her own business. So I understand it really well from that perspective too. But but allowing people to come in and help enhance the business. And Frank, I know you probably kissed a bunch of frogs before you found the prince that actually helped grow your business. And so you have to be careful too, because the first person you hire may not be the right one. And you have to measure that fast and understand it quickly and get them out of there if they're not the right one. But once you get it right, then it flies and you can feel the success. And I'm sure you had that experience. Well, yeah, I think the mistake that we make as founders is that we fall in love when we interview with somebody that we relate to so well but the problem is that if they are too much like us it doesn't solve a problem because then we're just breathing in the same fumes with one another and we we really need the person that's going to compliment us versus the person that's just like us and part of that issue is uh i guess the term is founderitis right inflammation of the founder the founder that can't get out of their own way (laughs) well i listen i I mean it, it yes that that happens but you have to help that person understand the benefits of what you're doing. That's that's our challenge as the outsider to come in and help explain that. Uh, and look, it gets different. Um, I'll, I'll explain it this way because I've talked to the Bon Giovanni's about this at Care Patrol for for the three years I've been here. You know, when the business was theirs before they sold it to Riverside, and then we started to accelerate the growth. You know, they made decisions. They kind of went like this. I, I said this about Mark Armstrong too. He kind of goes like this, and then he then he goes and. Most of the time, as founders, you do it right because you understand the industry so well. But some of the times you miss because you don't have all the data in this. Um, and so all of a sudden now, as you get into a you know private equity and it's professionally managed, it takes longer to make a decision. And it feels so slow to a founder. Like, what are we doing? I know this is going to work, but people are asking questions, not because they want to make sure the answer is right, because they understand the business. And then you get it about 80% right and, and you fly. But it feels so slow to a founder. It's so difficult. But the success rate's higher. You know, as a founder, you go like this, you make a decision, you fly. And then six months later, someone comes along with the data and says, boy, that that was never going to work. We realize it now because we look at it at the back end and you go, oh, that's okay. We had the other two things that worked really well. And so two things about that, Frank. One, the founder has to adjust because that goes slower and it feels terrible, but then the success rate's higher. But the other side of it is, for the team that's been around with the founder, they don't understand data-driven decisions all the time because they weren't around for that. Uh, and now they feel it feels slow to them too, but it even feels like, why are we even asking these questions? But it is to get the data to make sure the decision's right. Before it was, founder says this is going to work, and we were all <laughs> pin our ears back and go. And so th- that's a cultural change that we went through here at Best Life Brands as we've added founder-led businesses. But we know that and we're able to talk to the team about it as we and because we can anticipate it in the future. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing because I'm going to admit something, some vulnerability here. Um, I would say 
when I was starting out, I enjoyed being able to turn on a dime like a speedboat. Yes, and as of course. The, but as the brand grew, I had to give it what it needs. And what I realized was it needed something more than me. But as, as a founder that would get frustrated, as you gave the example, I felt like I was a, no longer a speedboat. I was a cruise ship slowly making yep. a turn and getting frustrated with, quote unquote, having to get buy-in from like a franchise advisory council on changes. I get it. These were all the things we needed. And I was able to pull, pull myself away and realize, okay, it is the, what's in the best interest of the brand. But I understand why 84% of franchisors never get to 100 units. And that's part of, <laughs> that's yeah. part of the reason is that you want to have your finger on a pulse. But if you keep thinking that you're always right and that has to be done your way, you're not going to get out of your own way. You're never going to get to that elusive 100 units. Yeah, and I, and I think... The other piece of this is, so you, you make that cultural change, you make data-driven decisions, you go a little faster on on that kind of pace in, in spots, but you can't lose the entrepreneurial spirit of the business in the first place. You uh -huh. can't lose that, right? You have to make sure that it stays entrepreneurial because that, that, that innovation needs to come from the field and you want to collaborate with the field. So all decisions don't come from corporate and all decisions aren't data-driven. Most of them are, and most of them have some data in them. But you, so you have, it's a very fine mix. Those ingredients have to be perfectly measured. And then you have a beautiful cake that comes out of the oven at the end. Right. So one of the challenges, right, when we're starting out, and I think this is great that the audience of people that are looking to buy a franchise can kind of, when they're looking at a franchise, they can evaluate not just an FDD and see if this is a right model for them, but really think about hopefully getting, gleaning from the information from this conversation on who they're buying from and where their business is exactly. going. And one of, the, one of the big transitions that we need to make also early on as a, as a founder or as early as a team is we go in when we start out, when we're a brand new franchise, right? We're in the mode of teaching, right? The franchisee doesn't know anything. So we teach, 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 teach. But there's a certain point in time when the franchisor needs to start listening to the field and be more collaborative. And so you need to yep. change, you need to shift gears on how you look at the business because now you're no longer teaching, you're more consulting or more coaching, but you're getting really relative feedback from people. And ultimately that's how you get to be a big brand, right? It is, it, but it's very well put and, and it is hard to be that way. And I've worked in company cultures that didn't want to listen to the franchisees but eventually realized that they needed to in order to make the business be more successful. G GNC, as I mentioned earlier, when I was at GNC, there were 900 company-owned stores and 25 franchise stores. There were a lot of people in that building, you know, that had been around GNC for the 20 years prior to franchising started that said, what do these knuckleheads know about our business? I've been around here 20 years. I know what's going on and I don't really care what the franchisees think. There were a lot of people that way. Um, eventually though, as the franchisees grew and as corporate started to rely more on the franchise business for its success those people just got passed by they 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 weren't able to stay around and and they realized that that collaboration was important it's not a founder necessarily but it's just someone that's been around for a long time so i think you said it very well it's a it's a fascinating transition that a business has to go through and i got to see it a couple times now in my in my career yeah so when you look at traits of a franchisee or somebody that's calling you that's interested in opening a franchise a part of the best life brands, do they typically look at one particular brand over the, over, over the other, or do you kind of gauge this one? I think you're a better fit for how, how do you determine when I here's one of those things to preconceive when you walk in the door, 
you know, you think candidates walk in and go, which franchise is best for me? It's actually the opposite of what I thought, which you just described. Candidates walk in the door thinking they want to be in comfort care or care patrol or blue moon. Occasionally they switch in the middle of the process. We've got a couple of franchisees now that are in multiple brands. Um, but most of the time people walk in the door with, in our situation with a brand specific. And then of course, in every case, and it's okay. This, if you're a candidate listening, it's okay to say, this is the geography that I want. It's usually the one you live in. 90% of the people walk in the door and say, I want to open in Swickley, Pennsylvania, because that's where my my home is. And, um, you know, sometimes it's available and sometimes it's not. That said, Frank, you and I both know the best candidates and the one you always have to have an answer for is I'm flexible. Where should I go? Oh. And when a candidate says when a candidate says that, it's just so rich and such a fun conversation because every franchisor has got the answer to that. Like, holy mackerel, we need to be opening in Denver tomorrow. <laughs> if you want to move to Denver, we're going to go. So it's um, so if you have that flexibility as a candidate, you'll probably have a chance for greater success. There's great success in every franchise business, but that flexibility helps a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. What's been your biggest surprise overall in franchising, think, over the years? Wow, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that question. There's a first time in 35 years. I think what's probably the biggest surprise to me, and I, um, it's fascinating to me, the way I feel about this is that every Every single franchisee has pretty much the same opportunity in front of them when they walk in the door. It's just fascinating to me and probably surprising that some go this high and some end up here and some end up here. And of course, those that go this high, the top of the cream of the crop are always so appreciative and they say thank you. And it's like, hey, you had the same opportunity everybody else had. You just, you figured it out better than everyone else. Um, So that, I think from a surprising perspective, I think that's probably the biggest, and it's still sort of interests me today on how that works and, you know, looking back on it, but I might have a better answer here in a minute, but that's the one that I think I talk about the most. Well, it's so hard to gauge somebody's hunger, resilience, grit, surviving True. success is a real thing too. Right. And it's yeah. hard to gauge that or measure that until somebody's involved. So I think for me, that was one of my biggest surprises that some people, I didn't see it coming. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know this person was going to be an incredible success that they were. And the other people I thought might've been superstars, but they had stuff going on in their personal life. And maybe they should not have invested in a franchise at that time that it was maybe yeah. great opportunity, but wrong time for them. Uh, at least that's what I had experienced. I, I just, I just had a really interesting situation in that perspective. Um, right. As COVID was starting, we had a, a, a candidate contact us that wanted to leave her corporate job. She was pregnant. She wanted to move her family from Florida to Tennessee. She'd never been to Tennessee before, but she was going to lift her whole business up, her, her whole family up, quit her job. Very, She worked for a Fortune 50 company, and she was a, a VP in that company to go open one of our franchise businesses, one of our newer ones. She was going to go open a Blue Moon Estate Sales. And I, I was thinking to myself when I was talking to her, oh, I hope this business works for her. I mean, this is, it's newer. I'm so, I, I was hopeful. And and now this is two years later and she's the going to be the number one franchisee in the system this year. And, you know, I tell her that story like, hey, two years ago when we met, I was just listening oh. to you going, oh my gosh, I so hope this thing works for you because I, you're betting your life on us. And, um, and she made the bet and she's paying off, but it's because of her, you know, again, everyone's got that same opportunity. She's just figuring it out. And, um, it's a, it's a wonderful story. And I love seeing her now at conventions. That's great. Well, she definitely had the deck stacked against her for sure. 
Yeah. I mean, she had no, and listen, she wasn't coming from sales and marketing either, by the way, she was in a, I'll, I'll say her job was she ran payroll for a fortune 50 company um, and just was tired of doing it. And so I said, that's it. I'm going to go in business for myself. I'm going to have a baby and then I'm going to open my business and I'm going to do it in a new city. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, what a risk, but holy mackerel, it's paying off for her. And I, I love the story. Uh, so that's the example that you said about how you just can't predict who it's going to be. You can't, at least that's been my biggest surprise for sure. That's, that's the, the, the fun of, of, being a franchisor too, is you have people coming in of all different walks of life. They have different backgrounds and not to mention, well, I know starting out, I could have never have hired these folks of that skill set to be part of my team. So for people to have exactly. skin in the game, to have their own business, it sounds like even, I mean, this lady working for a fortune 50 company to own her own business, to own her own franchise. I mean, she's definitely an anomaly because I imagine most of your franchisees are not a fortune 50 executive by any right. means right but that's right. still that's a, right that's that's right but you know you you we all have our stories in franchising the the one that i used to tell at gnc this i remember this guy he was a building inspector in dade county florida he had his last fifty thousand dollars which is not a small amount of money and he invested in a gnc store and you know five or six years later i i was walking around his home and he was putting one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of landscaping in he just built a house and he ended up owning a winery in California, all because all because of the success of a franchise business. I mean, it's and that's for those of us that are in franchising, that's the gratification that we get. Like we want to help people in our business, but we also get to help franchisees be successful. And that's so gratifying for me. Oh, yeah. So tell me about tell us your vision. What is your vision? How big is big for best life brands? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably impossible for us to see how big this can get because, listen, we're in a platform where we want to be on the senior care continuum. We can, you know, today we're in home care and helping people get into the right community and senior care services and home health. But there's a bunch of other stuff. I mean, we can enter uh, senior care space with nutrition or financial planning. Um, we can exit, you know, with end of life services, funeral homes and things like that and everything in between. You know, there's accessibility and mobility. So th there's so many places for us to be able to operate. Um, the challenge for us will be to make sure that when we do it, we're very focused, that we bring a brand in that we want to enhance and put it into our sort of, you know, we've got this machine that's making sausage. So we'll throw them into our sausage machine and let them make the sausage with us and help these seniors. And But we want to do that in a very targeted way. We just don't want to start throwing stuff at the wall. And if six of them work and four of them don't, that's that's okay. Um, because again, there's founders and families and people that are relying on our service. So I think, you know, there's more brands to be had, um, but while we're adding brands, we also want to make sure that we're, you know, growing organically with the existing brands that we have today. So I think this can get super large um, because the demand is just going to continue to just skyrocket. You know, one of the brands that we have today, Frank, I mean, we don't need to run any kind of demand generation marketing. If the phone rings, because people need the service. Um, it's our job now to, to fill, build capacity and make sure that we have inventory to help them with that support. So uh, while that happens, um, I think we can get really large, and uh, but we want to do it in a responsible way, and we, we want to make sure that we're very focused as we're doing it. Yeah, sure. Plus, you know, for doing this for years, you know exactly what you're looking for in the, in the right person. Like, who's the right candidate to be a franchise owner? Yeah, we think so. We, we think so. We still... We still make mistakes, but I think a lot of those mistakes are environmental. 
to your point, um, somebody comes in and, and they had something that happened in their life. But um, yeah, we, we, and listen, we turn people away because we can see some of that, like, this is not a good business for you. Um, we do have those conversations and that's not easy, especially when you want to put more pins in the map and, and, and help, help more people. But um, yeah, it, it, it's uh it, it helps us with our experiences to make sure we get the right folks in the business. Absolutely. What, what advice would you give to people who are considering, joining you guys as a franchise owner for one of the four brands. Yeah. I mean, this doesn't sound very appealing. And and so <laughs> Fran Dev's going to yell at me for saying this, but you know, franchisees and entrepreneurs are the only people that quit a 40 hour, 40 hour a week job to work 80 hours a week, aren't they? Um, but you're doing it for the why. So I think the advice that I would give is to it, make sure that it's the business that you want to be in. Um, that, that, Frank talked about it earlier. He's he's a guy that actually started a business, so he knows. And I, I think that's a really important component. And then, listen, I, I talk to candidates all the time, make sure that as they start to think about getting in a business, they make sure they also think about how they're going to get out of the business. You know, it's trite to talk about Covey's seven habits, but he mentions to begin with the end in mind. And so if you want to open your own business, good for you. That sounds good. You might have some success doing it, but how are you ever going to sell that business? And can you exit and can you get a good valuation for it? If you enter a franchise, you have a little bit better chance for success and then they can help you exit. And there are proven multiples associated with the brand that can help you exit. And I think that's an important component for people when they think about getting into a business. How are you going to get out? Um, how can you monetize that asset that you're building? And uh, not a lot of franchisees think about that. A lot of franchisees think about, you know, cash flow year one, cash flow in February, because I'm going to a cruise on a cruise in June. I got to pay for that. But we're also building value in the business together and, and making sure we monetize that at the back end in the best possible way, I think is a responsibility that we share. So I talk to candidates about that all the time too. That is unique. Not everybody talks about exit strategy, especially early on. And I think it is absolutely critical, especially if, look, if you're an emerging franchisor, it, that's not the first thing that comes to mind that no. I've talked to franchisees about getting out one day because they're not even thinking about it themselves, but it is absolutely important. And it is the difference between becoming part of a brand that really looks at something, looks at your, the life cycle of your business long-term versus somebody that's just trying to get you into a business and saying, Hey, you'll be a great fit. You know, here's a territory, you know, go at it. Exactly wow. Right. So JJ, I mean, we, we've both been in franchising for a while. You, you obviously a lot longer than me, but one of the things that um, I like to finish with is the tip jar. Cause I found that the franchise community has been so is always so giving. Anytime I go to an IFA event or any franchise conference over the years from the first conference I ever went to, I'm always stunned on how giving franchisors, even competing franchisors in the same industry share one another kind of best practices. So to pay it forward, what advice could you give to a fellow um, to a fellow entrepreneur that's looking to franchise their business, to franchise their concept? What would you say? Yeah, I, I think the most important parts and the most valuable parts of that business are going to be the training and operations of that business and to make sure you just get that absolutely nailed because other people can help you recruit, select, and qualify franchise candidates there are people that have been doing it for a real long time. You as an entrepreneur may not know that, but if you get just nail the operations and training of your business, and that's not easy to do because um, it doesn't always get scalable and it's not easy to explain how you do things in your own business. As I said, my wife has her own business for 19 years and, 
um, you know, it's hard for her to explain some of the things that she does in her retail business. Um, but if you get those two things nailed, that there are a lot of people that can help you then accelerate whatever you want to do with your business from there. So I think those are the two most important parts from my view. Awesome. JJ, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great talking with you. We could, I could talk to you for hours about this. There's so much to cover. Um, I think that you've provided such great info for folks that might be interested in, in being part of your franchise system. But I think you really provided so much great value to fellow franchisors on how they look at their business and how to uh, take their business to the next level. So thank you so much. Thank you, Frank. It was a privilege to be here. You've got an awesome uh, tool here, and I'm glad that you're using it to share with others. Um, and listen, if people want to dive in a little deeper with me, as you can tell, I love franchising, so they can look me up on LinkedIn. We can connect, and we can have private conversations or further conversations. It's no problem. So look me up and connect, and I'll and we'll go from there. That's great. So now if somebody's interested in learning more about one of the franchise opportunities, where can they find you? Yeah, so we're at w, we're at bestlifebrands.com. And so you can capture any one of the four brands there. We're, we think we're about to add a fifth brand. So if depending on when you hear the show, you may see a fifth brand show up on the material and you'll realize that um, the time between the time we recorded this and the time we added, we had another brand. But uh, bestlifebrands.com will get you started. And um, if you're really not sure which brand, just reach out and we'll help coach you through that decision. Um, but if you have an interest in one or the other, then we'll get you into that subject matter expert and off you go. That's awesome. JJ, you guys are doing such great work for people. You're definitely making an impact. And uh, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumey, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.